So, <laughs> Psalm 24 is all about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is all about Psalm 24. And some of you who are very attentive and circumspect and observant, you may realize I preached this only about a year and a half ago. Um, and some, sometimes I feel like I'm cheating when I re- re- repeat a sermon that quickly, but um, I, I talked to the Lord about this, but He said, don't worry, Jim, this is the one I want you to do. And so He knows best. Um, there was a real famous sermon preached in December 1849, north of London. It's a big snowstorm. And this young man, there was a teenager, and he couldn't make it to his own church because of the storm, and so he ducked into a little primitive Methodist church. And the preacher didn't make it in because of the storm, and there was no one to preach. So this uh, real skinny, uneducated tradesman of some sort, he ascends into the pulpit, and he shares this verse. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45.22 That's the King James Version. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And this, this young teenager noted that uh, this guy preached himself out in about three minutes, which you know I could do it myself, but I do have a little more stamina than that. But this is how he followed up the text. He said, look unto me. Now looking don't take a great deal of pain and it ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool in England, but you can look. A man needn't be worth a lot of money to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. The text says, look unto me. Ah, he said, but many of you are looking to yourselves. But it ain't no use looking there. And then he said, look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on a cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. There are probably 20 people in the room. And this this uneducated tradesman, his eyes fixed on this teenager, and he said, young man, you look very miserable. (laughs) I've always wanted to say that. I'm going to find one of you one of these days, right? (laughs) Young man, you look very miserable. He said, look to Christ. And this young man said, when, when, when the preacher said that, he said, he said it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever heard. He said, I'd been looking to do 25 things. But when he said, look to Christ, he said, I looked. And I was born again. Now this young man, he was only 15 years old and uh, he was converted that day. One year later he would preach his first sermon. Four years later he would be called as the pastor of a large church in London. It's estimated that in his 38 ministries he preached to 10 million people. He became known as the Prince of Preachers. I actually read his commentary when I studied for this sermon. Some of you know who he is. It's Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. Uh, many will say it's why (laughs) that sermon in 1849 is so famous. It's not because it was the best sermon ever preached. It was just one of the most effective ever preached. 
Because untold hundreds of thousands of people came to Jesus Christ through the ministry of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So this little man, this little skinny tradesman, he gets up and he preaches the Word of God and God changes England. This is why I preach the Gospel. (laughs) Because God's going to use some of you to change wherever you live and wherever you work and whatever country you go back to. You know, that's why I love to preach the Gospel. That's why Karen, she loves to teach it. You never know what God's doing with His Word. You never know, right? You never know what huge thing God is doing with His Word. I hope that this is true for you. I hope you understand this. I hope you use this in your daily life. You have the Word of God. Not just the words of men, but the words of God. You need to share them with your friends and your colleagues, right? Because sometimes God does miracles through His Word. How does faith come? By, by uh, doing miracles, right? That's how faith comes. That's how faith comes, by, by people seeing miracles. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? How does faith come? Hearing. By hearing what? The words of men. No, the words of God. Beloved, there are miracles in you. Do you understand? There are miracles in you. You're a Christian. You have the Word of God in you. Speak it. God will do miracles. God will do miracles through His Word. That's why David could do <clears throat> Psalm 23. He's looking at this great God <laughs> in Psalm 24. Let me give you the breakdown. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus Christ is the Creator God. Okay? Verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 6. Jesus Christ is the Redeemer God. Verses 7-10, through 10, Jesus Christ is the warrior King of glory. So, if you know these things about Christ, yeah, you can do Psalm 23. You can do it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Yea, though He, 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 he sends me into the, 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 the valley of, of death, I will fear no evil. My God is with me. He's my shepherd. God's my shepherd. I don't have some, you know, name it and claim it, uh, Pseudo-pastor shepherd. Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I can walk in all boldness and assurance and expectancy because He is my shepherd. In the 23rd Psalm, David says, God is with me. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. He protects me. He comforts me. He blesses me. And He provides for me. It's what that tradesman challenge Charles Spurgeon to do was to look at God. David is looking at God. It's why he can do Psalm 23. He's looking at Jesus Christ. You know, David writes Psalm 24. He's looking at the God of Psalm 24. His Creator, His Redeemer, and the awesome Warrior King. Amen? Listen, if you really believe that's who Jesus is, (laughs) you can go out there and be a disciple. If he's just a religious icon to you, you'll just be merely a churchgoer. But if you believe he is who he says he is in Psalm 24, you will go out that door and you will make him famous in your orbit. It's what Christians do, right? It's just, it's what we're called to do and it's what we do. I love Psalm 16:8. And this is what we're talking about tonight looking at Christ. You know, we've been saying that, that our feet will follow our eyes. 
For the last three weeks, we've been talking about looking at God, looking at heaven, looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And when you look at God, your feet will follow. You need to be in the Word of God. Jim, I can't find time. Wrong, you can find time. Jim, I can't find time to, you know, come to Bible study or come to church much. You know, my schedule's pretty crowded. Well, get it uncrowded. Get it uncrowded, beloved. God means to do miracles through you. It's why you're still here. Some of you think you're here, well, to, to have a good marriage and to make a lot of money and become famous and, you know, have a good career, whatever. This is not why you're here. God may do some of that stuff in your life, but this is not why you're here. If you're a Christian, you are here to make much of Christ. That's why you're here. That's preeminently why you're here. David says in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand. I will never be shaken. Amen? I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can do it. And when my enemies surround me, surround me God will be my banquet. Back to Psalm 23. I look at God. My God, who is God, I keep thinking, I can't get it out of my mind. I was reading a couple weeks ago, and I've shared it with you already uh, the last few weeks, what Bildad, Bildad said to Job. He said, he said, dominion and all belong to Him. Dominion and all belong to our God, to Jesus Christ, to the Lion of Judah. Dominion and all belong to Him. Beloved, our God is God. The rest of these phony religions in the world... Well, that's what they are. Our God is God. Jesus Christ is God. Verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Um, we said it a hundred times from this pulpit. Jesus Christ is God. I've already said it tonight and nobody else is. He's the Creator God. Some of you have not been taught to think about Jesus this way, but this is what the Scripture clearly tells us. He's the Creator. He speaks and two trillion galaxies stand forth. And everything else. Colossians 1.16, All things have been created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. John 1.3 tells us that all things came into being by Jesus Christ. Romans 11.36 tells us that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. If these verses are true, and of course they are, you know, my oft-repeated uh, exhortation to you from John Piper is if this is really true, then what is your life about? If it's really true, that Jesus Christ thought you up, designed you, and planned you, brought you into conception, and brought you out of the birth canal, right? If God did all of that, who do you belong to? Whose property are you? Even if you don't love God, whose intellectual property are you? His! You belong to Him, whether you love Him or not. Whether you ever become a Christian or not, you belong to Him in a proprietary sense. He designed you. He made you. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal if you'll think about it for more than three minutes. It's a pretty big deal. A 
Yeah. If it really is about Jesus, then everything in your life is about Jesus. Everything. You say, Jim, well, I have this little corner of my life. I keep it to myself. You need to repent. Everything in your life is about Jesus. Your soul, your life, your body, your sexuality, your singleness, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pains, your sickness, and even your death are all meant to bring glory to God. You know, that's why a lot of people don't like the God of the Bible. They say, well, that's just, it can't just all be about Him. I want it to be about me some. You know, this is what Satan's problem was. Satan wanted it to be about him. Right? <laughs> Read the text. He wanted it to be about Him. At least a little bit. It's not. And the beautiful thing is, as the Christian comes into relationship with the living God, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we find out it's not about us and we're pretty jazzed about it. You know, if you've lived any number of years at all, you realize uh, you're just not that interesting. Now, some of you may be more interesting than, than me, but you're still not very interesting. After a few years, you're going to get to the end of yourself. Guess what? You never get to the end of Christ. After a billion eternities, you will still be, you know, discovering and peeling back these layers of beauty and, and uh, godness and awesomeness and, and you know, I, I don't have a large enough vocabulary to talk about this, but it's like... Yeah. Beloved, it's not about you. Praise God, it's not about you. It's about Christ. <laughs> and He is awesome. He is beautiful. He is compelling and He will be. He will be forever. He will be. It is self-evidently true, I think. Again, as I said, if He designed and made me, he has, he has all rights to me. And some of you walk around like, you know, well, I'm, I'm autonomous. I, I, I'm autonomous. I, I make, I'm a little sovereign. I'm living my life apart from consideration of my Creator. I just want to lovingly say that's a huge mistake for you. You need to stop doing that immediately. If this is who you are, you need to go home and get on your face. And have a long conversation with God. As for His forgiveness, listen, your joy, the only joy, that ever, the only joy that ultimately matters is the joy He gives. The rest is cheap imitation. I love, you guys know, I, I mentioned this on occasion, the screw tape letters. And uh, it's a satire written by C.S. Lewis. And uh, Screwtape and Wormwood are having this, this correspondence. Screwtape is a junior demon and Wormwood is... Uh, pardon me, Screwtape is the senior demon and Wormwood is the junior demon. And he writes this. Listen to this. I think this is very insightful. The sense of ownership among humans is always to be encouraged. Humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. And, it must, and, and we must keep them doing it. Now these are two demons talking how to conspire to keep their patient, their human being, uh, from coming to Christ. And all the time, the joke is, the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything at all. I love this insight from C.S. Lewis, right? 
You think stuff is yours. None of it's yours. It's never been yours. It's God's. The air you breathe is God's. The food you eat is God's. The energy is coursing through your body through the ATP synthase or whatever that is. Right? Pretty close. <laughs> it's God's energy. Beloved, give thanks to this God who is so good to you. Don't ignore Him anymore. Don't be indifferent to Him anymore. Lewis continues. The demon says, they will find out, the human beings will find out in the end to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies belong. Certainly not to them. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Man is a mere leaseholder of a most precarious sort, liable to instantaneous ejection, right? Yeah. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Psalm 89.11. God, You own the cosmos. You made everything in it and everything from the Adam to the archangel. <laughs> it's beautiful. Verse 1, The Lord is... Uh, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains and the world and those who dwell in it. And verse 2 expounds on that. Just expanding on how God created. We know from Genesis 1-9, God called the land out from among the waters. Uh, Psalm 136-6 tells us that God spread out the land above the waters. 2 Peter 3-5 tells us God created the land out of water and by water. Listen to Psalm 104, 6-9. God, You covered the earth with the deep as a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At Your rebuke they fled, and at the sound of Your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which You established for them. You set a boundary that the waters may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the Creator. Yeah, that's, that's the creator of two trillion galaxies riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We'll see it in a couple of weeks. That's, that's the creator God being nailed to a tree. That's the creator God being put in a tomb. But we celebrate in about, is it three weeks? He doesn't stay in the tomb, does He? You can't keep God in a tomb! Seriously? And they put a big stone on, on, on front of it so He couldn't get out. Are you kidding me? The God who speaks trillions of galaxies into existence? We'll talk about that in a few weeks. He upholds those galaxies by the word of His power, Hebrews 1.3. He stretches out the north over the empty space and He hangs the earth on nothing, Job 26. 7. In creation and providence, God has gone public with His genius and His exuberance. Listen to a few, a few verses. The sons of God, these are angels, they shout for joy, Job 3. The floods have lifted up their voice, uh, Psalm 93. The fields exalt and the trees sing for joy, Psalm 96. The seas roar and the rivers clap. The mountains sing, Psalm 98. David wrote in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. I read a, a quote this week by C.K. Uh, Chesterton. Some of you will recognize that name. Um, and uh, he said, a man who looks into, you know, 
the unimpeded view of the heavens at night and declares himself an atheist is an utter fool. He can be nothing but a fool. Right? The heavens are screaming the glory of God. Beloved, you're supposed to be moved by creation. You're supposed to be moved into worship. You're supposed to be moved into worship. Well, I'll just read it to you. Okay? Psalm 139, 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> you know, we just take so much for granted, right? We just take, we just take everything for granted. When everything is a gift from a benevolent Creator. Verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in His holy place? Well, verse 4 answers the question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Oh, wait a minute. Who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? The man who has clean hands. Is that you? Do you have clean hands? Can you ascend uh, the, the hill of the Lord? Who can do it? Can you do it? I can't do it. Right? It's what David is saying. David needs a Savior. He needs a Savior is what he's saying. Oh, God has provided one. The God-man. The God-man. Jesus Christ. No other man has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, Jesus not only died for you, He lived for you. You understand this, right? This is something that many uh, professing Christians never quite gra grasp. Yes, He died for you, but He lived for you. He kept the law for you. You have clean hands in Jesus Christ. You have a pure heart in Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, justice will fall on you. We talked about it several weeks ago. The infinite wrath of God will fall on you. The infinite wrath of God will fall on you forever. This is, the, this is the truth of the Bible. You need a Savior. You must have a Savior. You should run immediately if you don't know Him tonight. You should run up here as soon as the service is over and ask me about Him. And let me help you with, with understanding who Jesus Christ is and what His claims are. You need a Savior. If you're here tonight and you don't have one, you need Him. You must have Him. Or God's wrath will land on you. His justice will land on you. I shared this verse with someone recently, Jeremiah 17.9. Who is mankind? <laughs> the heart of man is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's who man is, right? You know, a lot of people have a problem with hell. And it's a solemn revelation from Scripture. I get it. I do, I do understand it. But God's not the bad guy, right? <laughs> C.S. Lewis is right. Men land in hell because they hate God. They don't want God. They, they, they choose not to, to come into relationship with God. It's, it's, it's what the men want. Man wants that. I'll not have any God over me. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Men land in hell because they don't want God. They don't want Him. You guys know what Jesus says in Mark 7. That which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. What's coming out of the heart of man, evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, 
as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You guys know the. Uh, it comes up in my sermon, uh, sermons pretty frequently, Romans 3, because it's so vivid with respect to who mankind is. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. They become useless. None do good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues keep deceiving. Uh, the poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. This is, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is who unregenerate man is. This is who he is. No, we can't ascend unto the hill of the Lord. We can't do it. We must have Christ. And He's offered Himself. We've been saying it over and over for the last month or two. God says, here I am. Why then will you die? Some of you have not come to Him. I lovingly say, some of you are playing church. I lovingly say, why will you die? Come to Jesus. Really? Really? No more half measures. No more. No more games. Jesus has atoned for the sin of his people. Verse 5. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, righteousness from the God of his salvation. Again, it's it's kindergarten Christianity. You're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. What was it that... that uh, what, why did God count Abraham righteous? Anybody remember? What was it? He believed. Right? This is the scandal of the Gospel. <laughs> right? Just believe. You believe in a way that everything changes. Right? It's not just mental ascent. We understand that. It's not just... I, I agree with the facts that Jesus... Jesus was a man. He died on a cross. He, he raised from the dead. Bam, check my religious box, stick it in my pocket, and hope it works out well when I run into Him. It's not that. Belief in such a way that everything has changed. Behold! New things have come. The old things have passed away. New things have come, right? <laughs> it's true conversion. It's what Paul talks about to the Corinthians. So God reckoned Abraham righteous because he believed. Romans 4, 5. But to the one who believes in Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He the Father made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So only Christ can ascend into the hill of the Lord. You can't do it without him. Nor can I. If we are truly in Christ, then, you know, His, His righteousness is imputed to me. <laughs> it's imputed to me. And if we've really experienced justification, we will be experiencing sanctification. This is what verse 4 and 5 are saying. So we have received this blessing from the Lord. We are clean and pure in Jesus. And God is continuing to sanctify us through the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing 
Amazing truth. Verse 6, This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek Thy face, even Jacob. Now you heard me read just a, read just a few minutes ago. Uh, God says in Romans 3 that there are none who seek for God. Now He's talking about seekers. How do we understand this? We, this comes up. It's astonishing to me how often this comes up in various verses all over the Bible. How does a non-seeker of God become a seeker of God? Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Unbelievably, the God who has everything is seeking you. It's astonishing. We are God's sought. <laughs> we are God's sought. This is an amazing and beautiful truth. Okay, what are the first two reasons David can do Psalm 23? He's looking at his Creator and he's looking at his Redeemer. So you tell me the third reason as I read these last few verses, verses 7-10. through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Why can David do Psalm 23? Why? His God is Creator. His God is Redeemer. His God is the warrior King of glory. None can restrain His hand as Daniel says. God says, I do all my, all my good pleasure on heaven and earth through the prophet Isaiah. Right? Who can turn back the outstretched arms of Jehovah God? Nobody! Right? <laughs> David says, that's my God. That's my shepherd. Right? He's a warrior king. He's the king of glory. There's no one like him. I can do Psalm 23. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can eat a, have a banquet in the presence of mine enemies. I can do whatever God calls me to do because he is the king of glory. I can I can do whatever he calls me he is the King of glory. So, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. <laughs> if you believe it, I, I'm just going to challenge you to go out the door here. Go out the door, get in your car, go down to the tram, whatever you do, and live it. Right? At your job tomorrow, Talk it. Live it. In your home tomorrow, talk it. Live it. In the neighborhood tomorrow, talk it. Live it. God will do miracles through you. Through the Word of God that you share with those around you. What does it mean, these ancient doors? This is poetic and prophet verse that, that's talking really about the ascended Christ returning into heaven. He's done it. He says, it's finished. It's done. I've saved my people, right? I saved my people. It is finished. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's ascending into heaven. That's what the imagery is here. The mighty warrior king is coming back to sit on his throne. 
Exodus 15, uh, verses 3 and 6. I love, I love this verse. That, that what, after the Jews came through the Red Sea, they're praising God, right? He is a warrior, right? He is a warrior God. Majestic in power, He shatters His enemies. You know Zephaniah 3.16. God is in our midst. He is a victorious warrior. Our Christ is our shield, our fortress, our strength, our stronghold, and our deliverer. You guys know the Psalms. I love 1 Chronicles 29. David says uh, that God, as, as the people brought their offerings to God, David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, Yours is dominion, O God. And You exalt Yourself over the head over all. 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. Philippians 2.10-11 Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That uneducated tradesman, he knew what he was talking about, didn't he? <laughs> Look. Look. And I'm going to challenge you again like we've been talking about the last several weeks. What are you looking at? What are you giving your heart and your mind to? You become what you look at. It's just a fact. You become what you look at. Are you looking at Christ? You say, Jim, you know, yeah, I just don't have the joy I used to have. Let me ask you, are you looking at Christ? He's the only reliable source of joy. That old uneducated preacher, he says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Quoting God here, Isaiah 45.22, For I am God and there is no other. Charles Spurgeon was saved that day because he simply looked. He simply looked. Some of you may need to do the same. I love that uh, Chris Tomlin song, Whom Shall I Fear? He says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The One who reigns forever. Oh, guess what? He's a friend of mine. Amen? He says, The God of angel armies is always by my side. And the angelic hosts, they sing, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. His name is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him tonight, I invite you to come and speak with me. Call me. Email me. Come to my apartment. We will talk about Jesus Christ. You must have Him. He is non-negotiable. You must have Him. You must have Christ. Let's pray together.
What an awesome God. Creator, Redeemer, Warrior King. Yes, we can do Psalm 23. Yes, we will do Psalm 23. We will look at the incomparable God of Psalm 24. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator, our Redeemer, our warrior king. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us. I pray if there be anyone in the hearing of my voice who is not in relationship with you, I pray that you would convict their soul. I pray that the scales would fall off. I pray that they would see and that they would look. We love You, Lord. We pray all this in Your beautiful and matchless name, the name of Jesus. Amen.